Today's episode is brought to you by Get Your Guide. Want to make your next trip unforgettable? There's an easy way to do that. Book a Get Your Guide travel experience. No matter where your travels take you, Get Your Guide offers the best way to connect with your destination. Choose from over 100,000 travel experiences in the U.S. and around the world with Get Your Guide. Whether it's the Sherlock Holmes tour in London, the night helicopter flight over Las Vegas, or whitewater rafting in the Grand Canyon, whatever you're into, you'll find an experience you love. Discover and book your next unforgettable travel experience at GetYourGuide.com. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Welcome to Stuff from the Science Lab from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. This is Allison Lattermilk, Science Editor at HowStuffWorks.com. And this is Robert Lamb, Science Writer at HowStuffWorks.com. So, Robert, I'm going to take you back a few summers. Hit me with it. It was sunny. I was at my sister-in-law's. We were in the pool. It was a fine pool. It was a fine summer day. I was enjoying myself thoroughly. And on that day, I had a very unique experience. I was swimming with my nephews. And all of a sudden, I, I smelled this odor. Woo! It was a strong odor. And it was it was emanating from my mischievous, giggling little nephew. Oh. And I, I didn't know what the odor was. I'd never smelled it before. I'd never smelled this odor before. But good Lord, was it bad. And all of a sudden, I, I got a little excited because I think what I was smelling for the very first time that day was asparagus pee. And in, in your ool, of all places. Well, not mine, my sister-in-law. Yeah, thank goodness. Uh, but yeah, and this was exciting to me because I'd always heard about asparagus pee and some of us maybe who can smell it or some of us who can't smell it. And I thought that maybe, maybe for the first time I had this experience where I could smell asparagus pee. Right, and if... Uh for those of you out there who don't know what we're talking about, um, the scientific literature refers to it as, quote, an odor compared to that of rotten boiled cabbage. And it did indeed smell like rotten boiled cabbage. It was it was powerful. It was distinct. I tend to think of it smelling kind of like like a robot pee or something. I don't know. 
The reason I was so excited by this was because I thought that I, I couldn't smell it. Mm-hmm. And, and I've been told that there are certain people who can smell said asparagus pee, and so this was the very first time. But as it turns out, there's this whole scientific school of thought on, you know, asparagus pee, whether they're, and it's split into two camps, right? Right. Uh, on one hand, you have the people, um, the scientists who support the idea of excretors and non-excretors. Um, according to this uh, line of thinking, you have people like me, an excreter, whose urine smells like, uh, well, smells funny following the consumption of asparagus. And then we have people like you, a non-excreter. Right. I would have been a non-excreter. So this was my first encounter with an excreter. Right. Uh, but then there are also people who uh, who claim that it's not really an issue of whether or not your urine smells funny after asparagus. They're, they argue that everybody's urine smells funny following asparagus uh, It's just that some of us can sniff it out. Right. Others some can't. people can smell it and some people can't. Your story, however, tends to tends to uh, point more in the direction of the excreter non excreter argument. So this is one of those examples where I'm a little uh, befuddled by the fact that this takes up space on our on our genes. Yeah, this is this is definitely one of those where you, you read a, any kind of scientific mention of it, and there, you think there are definitely people out there going, "Hey, is my tax money going to support some scientist smelling a bunch of asparagus pee?" <laughs> you know, and it's uh, it's it's not re- not really like that uh, per se. Though I think some people may be, being and in fact, for. they have been messing around with it since what, 1735 or so. Uh, yeah, that's the that's the earliest uh, written document uh, documentation um, of asparagus pee. Uh, they they may have you know smelled it before that. Uh, there may have been uh, there may have been instances uh, like uh, your experience with you know, like ancient uh, Roman baths suddenly reeking of uh, boiled cabbage. Oh, that's a terrible, terrible yeah. thought. But, uh, but yeah, 1735 was the first time, uh, people started talking about it. in 1956 is when the excreter, non-excreter argument came about. And do they know what the genetic mechanism is at work? Uh, yes, it is MIM, that's, stands for missing in metastasis, uh, 108390. But they're still split on the excreter versus, uh, According olfactory. to the American Journal of Human Genetics, uh, they're still, it's still kind of up in the air. But we, like I say, we know that more or less the genetic address that this, uh, this issue is stemming from. So that's definitely one of the stranger genetic um, markers. Yeah, what we're talking about here is uh, genetic polymorphism, which is the fancy way of saying uh, my genes are different than your genes. Sure, yeah. So asparagus is one of those examples where it's not entirely straightforward. You may have a marker, but you may not have that mm-hmm. uh, particular behavior or uh, ability expressed. But sometimes things are more straightforward. And um, the cl- they call them Mendelian traits, after Gregor Mendel, the guy who came up with those two by two boxes, uh, in which you had to put in, you know, eye color and figure out what the dominant or recessive gene was, mm-hmm. right? So yes. you have, uh, things like whether you're an albino or not, you know, are these very, um, are these very straightforward examples where a single gene controls the expression? Right. So albinos and, um, whether or not you have a cleft chin, whether you have dimples, and then, um, you have some fun ones. And one of these that I'd never come across before was, um, whether or not you have hair on your mid-digit. And this is a... Uh, yeah, this is a pretty cool one. Uh, if you look at your fingers right now, unless you're driving, um, look at your fingers, you'll notice that each finger is basically can be divided into three sections. Right. It's that middle section. Uh, you might take a look at that and see if there's any hair on it. Uh, and uh, if you have hair on it, then yes, you have... Mid-digit finger hair. Exactly. And if you don't, then uh, I guess you have... Mid-digit finger baldness? Um, <laughs> I have the mid-digit finger baldness, uh, I have to admit. See, I think that maybe you're not 
uh, looking hard enough because I actually do have a little tiny. Or that uh, I'm secretly shaving them out of shame every morning so that nobody notices. I have like a little mid-digit mohawk. Um, but I also read something that said some people, uh, some people's hair there, it gets worn off by toil and, uh, stuff like housework or, you know, if you're working with your hands a lot, that maybe you do have that gene. Maybe you do have that phenotype, but this seems like a, a great, uh, great opening for some sort of weird Victorian fad, you know, where you have like fake hair on your mid knuckle to show how little you have to work. But, uh, <laughs> but maybe that's just me. Right, you have like hairy middle fingers or hairy mid digit. Right, you you put those and on alabaster skin. Yeah, and then you put and your fake mole on and you're good to go. <laughs> Um, and then, so carrying this on a little bit, um, another, another Mendelian trait that's very straightforward is, uh, the bitter taste perception. And you guys have probably heard of this, um, with respect to super tasters. So this just basically measures, um. And this is different than just mere food snobbery, where, uh, where someone has a lot of, uh, cool lingo they throw around and pretend to appreciate the food on levels that the average person cannot, uh, um, even aspire to. These people supposedly are actually, uh, experiencing Different tastes and uh, a higher and sensitivity yeah. uh, to certain tastes. Um, although they're they're pretty rare, pretty rare folks. But generally, um, sometimes they're just testing whether you can taste PTC or PROP, and uh, mm-hmm. these are these bitter uh, bitter tastes. And they kind of accidentally came across this discovery. And you might say, why, why, why are we occupying time and money on this thing? Well, you know, it does have some ramifications for things like nutrition and health. I mean, if you if your taste buds are a certain way, then you'll be inclined to eat certain foods, and that has ramifications for your nutrition and your overall health, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And even some of these that sound, you know, kind of pointless, uh, it's it's important to realize that you know we were continuing to learn more about who we are. We've mapped the human genome, you know, and uh, and it's kind of like mapping a city. You know, there are certain parts of a city you need to know where they are. You know, you need to know where the hospital is. You need to know where the courthouse is. Right. So the hospital, the courthouse in this instance might be like the BRA. BRCA1 or BRCA2, the breast cancer genes that they've right. done so much work yeah, on. Yeah, those are the ones that, you know, we really want to be able to know, you know, what we're doing with those particular genes. Um, however, any complete map is also going to have other things on there, like the local Taco Bell or, um, you know, or the, uh, the the yacht club, you know, places that you, you either have no interest, uh, you know, or, or desire uh, in, in going to. But it's part of having a complete map. And then uh, there are instances where... Um, a seemingly uninteresting or unimportant um, item on the map uh, can actually clue us into others, such as uh, if, if, uh, if, for instance, the Taco Bell uh, was also um, the a, indicator to turn for the hospital. Right, exactly. Then, then it would be important to know where the Taco Bell is. And something that kind of falls in this category is another one of these uh, straightforward traits called earwax. Yes. And you probably don't need somebody to test your. Uh, do a little genetic testing on you to figure out what kind of earwax you have. You probably know what kind of earwax yeah, you have. Yeah, all you need is a, a finger or a, a Q-tip. So earwax comes in two flavors. Oh, don't say flavors. <laughs> well, <laughs> I only say flavors because they describe it as wet and golden, and golden reminds me of raisins, and that's why I think of that. And uh, then there's also the dry and flaky kind, right? So, I, so those are the two kinds of earwax. It's like gross and grosser are the, <laughs> the, the two different varieties. And this is what the ABC11 gene is uh, supposedly there for. But the other thing that the this gene is implicated in is uh, the production of colostrum, which is an early form of breast milk for nursing moms. So on some level, earwax and breast milk may have some sort of very intricate relationship that we don't know how it works. Yeah, it's it's also linked to uh, uh, also linked to some uh, some body odor issues as well. And it you know it's one of those things where earwax not really an issue. 
body odor, sometimes an issue. Uh, breast cancer, definitely an issue. So, We've also found some really interesting genetic markers linked to uh, sleep issues. For instance, there's the period 3 genetic marker, uh, which scientists have studied um, in relation to uh, sleep deprivation. Okay. Uh, sleep deprivation, we all know, is uh, generally a bad thing. You know, you, it's the idea you don't get enough sleep, uh, you're more susceptible to illness, you might be crankier, you're going to have a harder time uh, at work the next day. You might crash on the highway on your way to work. Right, you might see phantoms, etc. It can get really bad, you know, ask Keith Richards, I guess. But um, but the, the issue is uh, some people have a short uh, period 3 gene, and uh, scientists have found that the people with the short version are better able to cope with sleep deprivation. So like Albert Einstein, who is said to exist on only a few hours of sleep a night. Yeah, or, you know, the... The college student who can uh, get a half hour sleep and, you know, eight Red Bulls later, he's able to, you know, cope perfectly well with his classes. Um, it's, uh, you know, these people are the exception. The so role. this is the form of the gene that, or the form of the genetic variant that you would want. Uh, I suppose, yeah. If we reach the, you know, the, the point where you can you know, pick and choose what your, you know, genetic settings are going to be, this one would probably be a good one. Uh, the people with a longer version of the gene, these are the people that are going to be, you know, be all, if I don't get my eight hours of sleep, you know, I'm worthless. Uh, I've got to have that, uh, you know, 1 p.m. nap or I won't be able to function, that kind of thing. Do you take a 1 p.m. nap? Uh, it's, in, it's in my contract you know, every day. <laughs> Climb into your desk like George Costanza? Yeah, I have a little mat, everything. <laughs> what about, have they found anything with sleepwalking? Uh, yeah, there's actually there's another study dealing with uh, uh, the DQB1 polymorphic amino acid. Uh, and uh, they found that uh, this... Uh, this gene is uh, particularly uh, associated with uh, motor control issues during sleep. We're talking oh. about narcolepsy, um, sleepwalking. So these annoying people who kick you in bed? Restless yes. leg syndrome? Restless leg syndrome is thrown in there. Also those annoying people who uh, who howl in their sleep. <laughs> I've never heard a howler. Yeah. It's, uh, some people are howlers. So um, so the howling has some sort of genetic background to it, huh? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure does. Uh, but then again, like a lot of the stuff, you could also be howling in your sleep because your do- your job really sucks and you have nightmares about it. You know that kind of thing. So a lot of what makes us who we are and how we behave isn't so straightforward, of course. And our genetics are anything but simple and straightforward. Right. And uh, I, I think a great example of this is the whole issue of the quote gay gene unquote. Uh, and you know, first and foremost, there is no. Gay gene. Nobody's saying like, yes, the um, you know, the the such and such uh, 376 here. If it's on, you're gay. If it's off, you're straight. If it's in the middle, uh, you're probably bi. You know, nobody's saying that. <laughs> it's uh, there, there are probably a number of genetic markers. Uh, scientists are saying, uh, but it's like it's a it's a number of different genetic settings, if you will, and they're not the only thing determining uh, you know how you turn out. There's also uh, a lot of uh, um, you know, it's your upbringing, it's social uh, issues, it's uh, it's your environment. Um, it's your parenting. Right. And uh, and that goes beyond, uh, you know, issues of sexual orientation and into uh, uh, any number of uh, of uh, behavioral uh, and, uh, and biological. The old nature versus nurture debate at mm-hmm. its finest, of course. So if you want to learn more about genetics and what can your spit tell you about your DNA, why don't you go on over to HowStuffWorks.com. We have so much good content around this, most of which Robert wrote. Thanks for listening, guys. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Thank you.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. At- 